0: okay we're live hi this is william ramsey welcome to william ramsey investigates on today's show i have two very special returning guests it's tom and brett from psyop cinema and this will be our 12th show done 11 shows really almost in the past year uh really great content i highly recommend you check out the shows i've done with them and they've been on my show we've covered most recently taylor Swift's mind control concerts people were very interested in that done a lot of movies, Seven Days in May, Fight Club, Conspiracy Theory, Scanner Darkly, um, Under the Silver Lake. We've talked about Ed Sheeran, and they kind of picked my brain about some of the research I've done, the books I've written. But today we're going to talk about really one of the greatest parapolitical books I've ever written, in my opinion. And that is Program to Kill, The Politics of Serial Murder by Dave McGowan. It was self-published, well, published through iUniverse in 2004 and i really had had time over the weekend to read it in its entirety and kind of walked away still impressed i remember reading it before 2010 and just kind of like not really able to maybe assess everything as much as i am now as i've been kind of farther down the, the road and my research and stuff like that but uh we've always been they the, the tom and brett have asked me to be on their show to kind of talk about this. I reached out to some of his family members. I know and was friends with his brother online on Facebook, which I'm off of Facebook. So I couldn't really uh, reach out to uh, Craig, but I don't think he's in the greatest of health. And then the website that McGowan still has is the center for an informed America. It's still up. It's operated by one of his three daughters. And I reached out to her and, she didn't get back to me, unfortunately, but I would have been I would have liked to have them on talk about Dave firsthand. But I think that a lot of his outlook is in this book. He's author of three books. This one, it was uh, Weird Scenes. Then he wrote is for I forgot the Epis 4 or something, but a couple other books. But I think that the Weird Scenes in this one are probably his most notable, most uh, read and still read. I mean, I'm on social media. And uh, people are still bringing up this book. They're still going through it. There's all kinds of uh, podcasts that are based program to chill is a really popular one, obviously uh, based upon this title. And uh, a lot of people who are interested in the research that I'm interested in always reference this book. So I really thought it was worthwhile to go through again. Uh, since our last show, Tom and Brett have published a article about the joker on I am 1776 so I suggest people check that out is actually before they published it I was kind of I'd come across it a couple times uh, that kind of uh, online publication for other articles so it's a pretty cool place to be published but uh,
1: they can talk more about
0: that so Tom and Brett welcome back to the show
1: hey thanks for having us again William uh, 12 collaborations in a year we've been very productive this has been great Yeah,
0: no, you guys are great. I was talking talking to you in the pre-show. You guys have always delivered really fascinating, uh, well-researched episodes that have always, like people have always said, oh, this is great stuff, uh, back to me on either email or social media like that. So I'm always uh, delighted to have both of you back. Well, yeah, thanks. Well, you you were
2: a big inspiration for the show as well, remember, so...
0: Cool. Well, so for people maybe who haven't uh, listened, probably people, if they listen to my show, they know you guys, but maybe you could just do a little bit of a redux and then talk about your new article and then maybe what it was like to kind of uh, blow the dust off a program to kill and kind of get back into that. Maybe, was this the first time you guys read it? Maybe it's the second or I don't know. For me, it was like the second or third time. Do one of you guys want to uh pronounce? this
1: was the first for me personally oh, uh okay. cover to cover read I've done a, a, of it actually I've uh, I've read uh sections of it and other parts of McGowan quite um quite frequently actually because it Uh, His work comes up on our show a lot. We've recommended both Program to Kill uh, and Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon on many occasions. But I I have to admit that I never actually read the book front to back until now, though. I I know Brett has before, but uh, listeners of our show will especially remember uh, us talking about it uh, when we um, did our David Fincher series because uh, the serial killer themes come up so frequently there um, in uh, in properties like like Seven, like the Mindhunter TV show, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, and others. And there, when we we're talking about David Fincher as the serial killer director, um, McGowan's thesis was obviously hyper-relevant to what we were talking about. So uh, probably a lot of our listeners uh, will be familiar with the thesis and, um, and with the book, but I was glad for the opportunity to actually kind of go through it with a fine-tooth comb for the first time, I know Brett has a lot of thoughts about it. So just very briefly for anyone who might not know about the background of our show, Psyop Cinema. Uh, we uh, we focus on cultural engineering and Hollywood as a kind of super Sci-Op. And we do close readings of films and of different directors' careers in order to kind of figure out what's going on with the Hollywood Sci-Op and how it connects to a uh, related parapolitical and deep political areas of interest. Um, and so one thing that we've talked about a lot is uh, this, the, the, this uh, importance of the Joker, that um, as you said, we just had an article published in IM 1776, great magazine. We're very proud to be published in there. we have an article called The Joker Cycle Uh, which details this feedback loop between real-life spectacular crime and media that uh, often has to do with socially alienated young men committing those types of crimes. And the Joker, Batman villain, and broader archetype is kind of at the center of that. And so Brett and I have talked about that on our show quite a bit. We have a whole series on the Joker. In fact, it's still kind of, it's it's ongoing. We might be uh, doing that on and off for quite a while, but uh, people can check out our article, The Joker Cycle. Ah, uh, to find out more. So um, that's that's a little bit of background. Uh, Brett, I'm sure you have some stuff to add to that.
2: Yeah, on the on the article or on or on Dave. You know, on our interest in in Dave. Because I mean, we could say I, so I would much say I'm, I'm
1: programmed to kill and David McGowan yeah. because we're both been interested in his stuff. But uh, you you had read his work before I did, and so I'm I'm sure that you have yeah. a stuff to add in terms of background.
2: Yeah, I did. I read McGowan's program to kill front to back, kind of like almost back to back with weird scenes inside the canyon. you know, I'd heard him him mention on A.L.E.X. Jones and and other other people. And it was the and I guess I I wanted to like I was just thinking as you guys were speaking, like the the term I want to ascribe to McGowan is like this ingenious suspicion. You know, he has this definitely like this hermeneutic of suspicion of a sort. Right. He's a conspiracist, but he really kind of I think discovered like two of the the master conspiracy theories that had eluded most of conspiracy world in, in those two in those two books, you know. And it was into so that and the just the his his method, right? And we'll talk a lot about that in the show because that has informed the method I that, that I practice, I think that we practice on our show, um, you know, as much as just about anybody. Um, out there so he's a huge inspiration for the show And we can say a lot about how his work in general and specifically how this book have have influenced her work. because a lot of the stuff that we've done in the two sh- the two years that we've been operating have referenced a program to kill I me mean, if we had an index I mean you know a dozen or more of our shows have, have at least indexed this this book and some have been very closely tied to it like when we did the Mindhunter show and other things dealing with the, the serial killer because I think he has basically decoded the cultural phenomenon of the of the serial killer. What does that I mean? The rise of the, I mean, there's no question statistically, I mean, every normie historian admits to this, right? That there's a, a prodigious rise in the number of, of psychosadistic serial killers and, sp- and spree killers and things after the late 60s, beginning in the late 60s and, and early 70s, roughly at the same time as um, the Phoenix program in, in Vietnam when it was operating. And um, there's still, I mean, there's a book that I just found a book that was being reviewed somewhere about like arguing it had to do with World War II and war and violence. And I mean, the connection between right, war and violence and stuff here, and this is also can't really escape an honest intelligence. Um, so that, that's the phenomenon, you know, that, that, he, had, that he had caught on to um so it was just yeah i'm just a great admirer of his work i mean his work's not perfect we can we have some criticisms of it we don't really see eye to eye politically in a lot of ways uh, with dave but i I think he was a pretty pretty brilliant uh, mind for for what he was doing which is a very valuable public service i think
0: i agree i mean he put all this stuff together he actually uses his sites he quotes books in there books that i've known and i don't think anybody really put together the kind of uh Mind control aspect to this this kind of serial killer phenomenon as much as he did, maybe there were instances <clears throat> of individual books, but for me that kind of point in two thousand four was really he kind of got it right. So I think it, I think it's become more right. Like it's uh, there's probably even more people that he's he, uh, he overlooked in Program to Kill. Like uh, the Unabomber comes to mind, Whitey Bulger, uh, that were not in this book as far as i was surprised to kind of not to see them but um yeah it's uh it's still good the other two books that he wrote were understanding the f-word with uh, nelson rockefeller you know giving him the finger american fascism and the politics of illusion and then dera- derailing democracy but for sure we're weird scenes in program to kill her is you know m- most discussed books but um uh, Yeah, self-published through iUniverse. So I think that's how how he got it published, which I don't know if anybody would have published this or, you know, so he would have been privished, which is the word you get uh, out of trying to get it published and somebody refuses to put it out into the public. So uh, to his credit, that's what he did is get it out there so people could at least talk about it. He's still talking about it. it. But uh, what were your thoughts? Like you read it for the second time, Brett, Thomas, that was your first time through. What are your kind of first impressions?
1: Well, so some of the stuff that I had read before um, in, in PTK I had to do more with the pedophocracy stuff or some of um, his conclusions. And when we had done things on the show, like um, uh, like look at the film Zodiac, which is another obviously major uh, Fincher movie about serial killers, uh, the research I did included looking at McGowan's account of, of, of the Zodiac killings. And um, but I I hadn't before read a couple of the other sections in here um, about all these different case studies involving uh, so-called serial killers, uh, which he shows obviously uh, to be a very different kind of phenomenon than the normie perception. And I was just really struck by the combination in the book of um, just like how sharp the analysis is in terms of the on the ground facts and case details that he brings to bear to just kind of demolish the the kind of stereotypical profile of the serial killer, or just show how flimsy the official stories are about some of these things, Uh, the the amount of detail he puts into that while being able to, some of the things that he does when he takes a step back and looks at the broader kind of philosophical implications of this in terms of why we might, because of some some dogmas about free will will or individualism um uh, as a society accept these illusions or about what's going on in terms of mass traumatization of the populace and which is a theme we talk about cyber in quite a bit there's a really uh, there's a really uh, compelling here blend of that um that broader and more detailed analysis and one thing that i really really um appreciate about the book and one section that i've looked at before and even referenced on side of cinema before is just his um, is towards the beginning just how clearly and persuasively he uh, he makes this argument about uh, about weaponized dissociation when he you know he says that uh, that dissociation uh, occurs uh, the dissociative states occurs in uh, in humans and that those states can be augmented through the affliction of severe trauma and that there's no reason that the CIA and related factions would be ethically hesitant at trying to afflict uh, that kind of trauma. And so then the only remaining question is, can those kind of dissociative states be controlled? And then what we know about MKU-related programs suggests they can. And he makes the great point. That would just be very, very silly to think that lone, random cult leaders stumbled onto the ability to to control minds at large levels, but somehow that's escaped the the, the ability of the CIA and factions like them. That independently, Charles Manson and Jim Jones and David Koresh all stumbled onto that kind of uh, that kind of capacity, uh, but then U.S. intelligence hasn't. It doesn't make any sense. Just he very, very clearly and persuasively lays out that train of logic at the beginning, and I, I like that quite a bit.
2: It, totally and it's lines like it's lines like that right where he says like you know this is what they're, he boils it all down for you and then like this is what they're trying to get you to believe right that char, that this like jailbird right who's barely literate a shattered mind like he was able to do you know in like six months what the cia put you know billions of dollars into doing for a long time and had all the interest in doing right that that's with kind of charmed universe that we um, that, you know that, that we live in but it's that kind of disillusionment right that it's like all of this has been in front of you and somehow you believe something that was completely ridiculous and implausible and um, it's it's you know I, we talked we, we covered under the silver lake on uh, this episode and I think that's the feeling of disillusionment when the guy discovers the songwriter right that all of his uh, idols and dreams right. and gods have just all been manufactured it's all been fake and he couldn't really he couldn't really see it because he was under a spell. It's like, so McGowan's work just has that power of breaking uh, the spell. And like Thomas said, that was really well said about how part of the way he does this is he has a, a sense of like, you know, looking at things in a big picture uh, way, kind of looking at things phenomenologically too, right? I think he's um, skilled at that, like looking at, you know, the depths of human psychology and, um, but also like getting into like granular sort of journalistic um, detective like detail and not many people can combine those things some people can do one or the other. And that's often the, their weakness. Like a lot of people are really good at seeing uh, things that are really kind of granular level, like scientists and journalists and people like that, but they cannot see the big picture and they can often seem really dumb, right. About other things. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how I would react to that. I mean, I, that's what really impresses me about uh, McGowan.
0: Right, so he goes through the kind of deeper things. Like, I think he tried to disabuse people of the fact that these are independent serial killers, that they're just somehow made up uh, without any connections or any, some kind of like going through some Vacaville prison or something like that. So I think that that's kind of the important thing because the public, and I think that he talks about the control of these ideas, the false memory foundation or whatever it is, the false memory syndrome foundation and some of these that are trying to, make sure people don't look too deep into the stuff. But I mean, he was really kind of uh, one of the early ones saying about McMartin was fake. And he's actually pre pre kind of set the stage for O'Neill's book. Right. So he kind of uh, was talking about the suspicions between Manson and his connections. And He knew a lot. I mean, I like some of the stuff I passed over in my research, but he knew he understood Manson's connections to the solar temple, Buzole connection to anger and all that stuff. So, Think that he his research is incredible and actually puts in footnotes too, which is nice, and actual book references, which some of these people do not do in their books, which is unfortunate. But uh yeah, it mentions a lot of books that I've done. A lot of interviewers have talked to Carl Rashke about painted black, so that's in there, and just the coverage of all these players. Mike Lakino, I've done a show with John Brisson about that, but uh he was definitely very skeptical about a lot of the stuff. He does not take it was all, you know, the satanic panic was the reason for all the stuff. And and backs it up really with uh, with a lot of uh, knowledge and facts and stuff. He talked to Gary Stickle. He mentions that in the book. Ed Opperman interviewed that guy about the tunnels of McMartin. Like, hyper-paranoid stuff, but he was willing to put that in there or put that in the book. But uh, I think that that's really kind of what impresses me about re-write, rereading this is the breadth of his knowledge. Like, he really covered a lot of stuff. It's 350 pages of pretty incensed stuff about killings, but a lot of names pop up, and I actually was surprised to see Aleister Crowley pop up often on uh, his birthday. He seems to remark about five times that these horrible things happen on Aleister Crowley's birthday, whether somebody's released or Arliss Perry dies or something like that, but uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what impressed me with it. What, uh, what, what are you guys' takeaways? I mean, when you see all this, were you aware that maybe a lot of these serial killer? I mean, you talk about your show is based on like looking into social engineering like i think that weird scenes and programmed is really about social engineering around, uh, socially engineering these serial killers what were your kind of takeaways with all the kind of mind control references and uh how many people might have some kind of suspicious background what were your thoughts or were you guys aware of that as much or how did this book kind of change your opinion of those things
1: well, uh, the um, the theses of, um, of Program to Kill and weird scenes go together so well when we think about this really robust account of culture creation. Uh, I was interested in how early in the book, um, even though it's not his focus, but McGowan does reference um, some movies uh, that have these depictions of mind control, which is, uh, of course, the the you know, cinema psyops are the, the main focus of of our show. But he mentions early on the Manchurian Candidate, the the Stepford Wives, and we have covered the Stepford Wives on Psyops Cinema, uh, conspiracy theory we covered on your show um zoolander and so that these things have have popped up quite a bit so the um uh, sort of the uh, the the way that hollywood has been used uh to to propagate the same kind of um, mass traumatization from things like uh, like ritual child abuse and the ritual violence that serial killing is often a cover for i think these uh these ideas very naturally uh, go well together. So, so um, I wasn't as familiar with some of the some of some of the case details of these particular serial killer instances. But it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense looking at this kind of violent crime uh, with the kind of things that we look at with uh, with kind of MK culture, with the entertainment industry, how with the Hollywood psyop, um, with people's imaginations being corrupted by this kind of uh, technology driven entertainment, how that's used as a psychological weapon. Uh, it goes right alongside the the, all the ways that all these serial killer cases are kind of Swiss Army knives for the ruling elite. They accomplish so many different things on a dark spiritual and a, and a dark political level. Um, so I so um, I, I'm glad that we have covered uh, David Fincher on our show before. Uh, just because, I mean, looking at, uh, looking at pop culture like that is such a good complement, I think, to the work that McGowan does in here and looking at these, uh, the initial kind of violence and terror of these serial killer cases, and then thinking about how that's been revisited on the public over and over again, not just by depicting that kind of violence on screen, although that's a big part of it, but by getting people uh, trapped in these traumatizing false narratives about you know, all this darkness and evil around uh, around serial killers, that through these false narratives, we're supposed to think is just random, is just this, this horrible, fascinating darkness we're supposed to be obsessed with as just a natural part of humanity or the ultimate part of humanity, as opposed to something that is being visited upon humanity by a ruling elite with a very specific agenda to them. So... I could think again, and I, I I hope people will look at our David Fincher episodes if they're interested in this conversation or if they're interested in PTK more generally uh, to think about how um, with with those kind of depictions there's all this misdirection uh, where um, where uh, where David Fincher wants to usually say well the serial killers they're they're christians they're nazis or they're christian nazis or there's something like that or they want or he wants to use all this kind of this the, this this made up psychological uh, perception of serial killers to kind of glorify them and cover up the parapolitical dynamics like he does in mindhunter or like i said sometimes he just wants to i think traumatize people through this uh, this kind of a uh, very perverse view of humanity and violence so Anyway, um, I think that, uh, that what McGowan shows in Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon as uh, the 60s countercultures and mass psyop, what he shows here in PTK with uh, kind of the, the, the mass ongoing psyop of the serial killer phenomenon, these things can, uh, looking at them together, really, I think, illuminates a lot of recent, vi- very popular visual media of the kind that we cover at psyop cinemas. So that's, that's one big reaction I have. I, yeah, I had not, I mean, to be honest, I had not
2: really, and that really occurred to me, um, right, that the serial killer phenomenon could be wired into to deep politics in the way that Dave uh, intimates um, in, in the book. And I think partly because... Um, you know, I, I think the culture is so invested in a kind of mythology of, of the serial killer that's been created, like whatever your relationship to it is, this kind of genius, super predator, psychosexual uh, killer who's, you know, the uh, sort of ubermensch, kind of dark ubermensch. I mean, it's an it's instantiation of what I call the dark self, actually, in that Joker Cycle article in one way. But people get so invested in it and they get their... You know, so when they hear that you know Henry Lee Lucas is killing 500, 600 people, I mean, they're excited to hear about the body count. They don't want to believe it's not real. That kind of is deflating at some right. point. I mean, it really, Oliver Stone's natural-born killers, I mean, got into the social pathology around the serial killer, even if it didn't reveal anything at a deep politics level um, about the phenomenon. But I mean, it has a. It just... he's again, Dave is sort of disillusioning people there. He's sort of breaking a spell that they're under. Now the spell that he breaks with weird scenes is a different one that I was really invested in, you know, kind of the, um, rock and roll, you know, pop culture and, um, you know, uh, the cult of the artist, um, that's replaced religion. Um, so, um, but yeah, no, it hadn't really, it hadn't really occurred to me. But yeah, and Thomas has uh, agreed with all of his options. I like that 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 phrase, the, the sort of Swiss Army knife, right? I mean, it, it's kind of hard not to believe when you think about it. you watch enough movies, right, to to think that you know um, the the world of sort of um, contract killings and serial killers and these things that it would not somehow overlap with you know. the world of corporate espionage and intelligence and things like that. Of course it does. And they show you this like through a glass darkly in um, the movies, and we can talk about a movie. I can mention I just did a premium episode about that actually depicts what David. I doubt Dave has seen this movie because it's pretty obscure, Gary Busey. But uh, it depicts exactly the scenario that he suggested here. I what was
0: the name know. of that movie? You sent it to me, right? What was it called? Oh, it's called yes, Busey. it's called The
2: Rage from 1997. Rage. It's called The Rage, and what's interesting is it's not just a random movie. It's directed by a guy named Sidney J. Fury, who actually directed the arguably the first ever obvious MK Ultra movie. Um, I mean, you can say, of course, Mentorian Candidate is, but um, Ipcrest File, 1965, depicts like psychic driving, electroshock, audio, oh, wow. visual stimulation, like, like beyond what you see in, it's a shorter sequence, but it's beyond what you see in A Clockwork Orange, which was, you know, six years after that movie. And Fury just made a bunch of national security state related movies. He made one I can prove in, in collaboration with the DOD. So it's, it's really sauce as we say.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's in there that the rage with Busey, I have to check that out. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's what kind of, uh, you talk about how this kind of serial killer glorification has, has permeated the culture. And I think that he talks about that too with his conclusion. Um, but it really has. If you look through the stuff that he covered, there are so many major documentaries that were on Netflix on some of the stuff. Henry Lee Lucas's things, Dahmer, Ramirez, Sons of Sam. And I think the Sons of Sam that he covers in this really wasn't as public knowledge maybe until recently. Like that was actually more than just Berkowitz, even though they kind of left out a lot of the ritual stuff and the process stuff from Sons of Sam, if I remember correctly. But uh, like uh, uh, McGowan is not doesn't shy away from the involvement of ritual uh, murder sacrifice in the occult, which I give him credit for. Like he actually is willing to actually rewrite that as opposed to most people avoiding it. But uh, yeah. And also this, this book kind of pre is prescient in the sense that it's like the, this is like a, almost like a, a st- uh, kind of a baseline for all of the true crime podcasts out there. The number one genre, they cover all of these things that, that mcgowan did even before podcasts exist in 2004 so i find that to be incredible but yeah but i think that really his overarching view is that this these people who were kind of uh, uh, led to do these serial killings whether through the phoenix phoenix program or some other thing were really trying to change the culture i think that was really his conclusion at the end is that it's all part of one vast psychological warfare operation that really peaked a long time you know alongside phoenix program so it was like a, the, the peak of the serial killer phenomenon peaked when the phoenix program was going on and a lot and there, ramirez's connections to this the uh, phoenix program is without question
1: yeah his line about the phoenix program coming home is classic and there's just so much great writing in here uh that, that illustrates these dynamics he's mentioning but yeah the. Uh, his willingness to kind of look at the big picture of this overlap between this kind of horrific violence and then the occult and intelligence agencies and the role of culture creation and all of that that he's um, that he's uh, that he's willing to to speculate but in a very responsible manner um, I think is a very useful thing about the book because in terms of the meta narrative that he that he kind of leaves us with where he's bringing together the serial killer phenomenon with the pedophocracy where where this kind of occultic ritual violence is implicated in both. And they both have to do with these really horrific acts um, that are so traumatizing that it gives power to the perpetrators, uh, not just over victims, but over society at large. I think he uh, very convincingly brings those things together. He's not just randomly picking horrific violence, but he shows the connections between, between all this. And it is remarkable just the, 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 the impact that this has correctly had on parapolitical discourse. I mean, all of these major case studies that he uses in the world of, um, of the occult and, and, and deep politics. I mean, it's the stuff that everybody is talking about and revisiting and trying to understand better. I mean, uh, it's a pretty impeccable list. I mean, it can always be added to because this evil's gonna, you know it keeps going. But he does mention Crowley um, in, in some very perceptive ways, like you said. I mean, Crowley, the Finders, uh, Juarez, uh, McMartin, Aquino—like it's all it's all in there, and yeah, um, it, it, it's it's fascinating because I hadn't um, I hadn't looked at uh, McGowan's work until Brett and some other people had kind of alerted me. Uh, to to its importance, but, you know, I used to uh, take a very, very positive view of the occult in my old worldview before I was interested in all this research, and um, one thing that kind of snapped me out of that delusion um, and allured me to the reality of conspiracy was just so many instances of, uh, of child abuse that seemed to overlap with culture, occult ideology of a kind that I used to find darkly fascinating that I just couldn't justify or make fit into my, into my worldview. And so doing just a lot of that research on this kind of concept of divinization of children in the occult and how often that overlaps with ritual violence against them um, I, I ended up just kind of stumbling onto a lot of these, uh, these same case studies and then found out like, oh wow, this David McGowan guy, really, like he's already kind of like uh, shown some of these connections. Now, granted, like I would add some, some new things to that, which uh, it would, I mean, every book is finite, so it's not a flaw with program to kill, but I just think that building on all this stuff that uh, McGowan connects the dots from, sometimes he's openly speculating, sometimes he's showing very tangible nuts and bolts connections. But, you know, we can think about how this kind of Crowley ideology, uh, this, this this awful occult ideology is transmitted um, uh, through a lineage that involves people who some of them like are mentioned offhandedly in here. But people like Jack Parsons, Marjorie Cameron, L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology. Obviously, more recently, we can think about things like Pizzagate. We can think about we can think about Nexium. We can think about the whole Jeffrey Epstein affair. Epstein, right. and. Uh, and, and like, and which there are gifted children aspects to both Nex- Nexium and right. the whole uh, Epstein background, and they right. both, those two are connected through the mega group. So there's some more tangible connections there as well. But you know, I think that slowly through Epstein, you have this whole lineage. And McGowan doesn't present it exactly in the same way that maybe I would if I was like writing from scratch about this kind of thing. But it is amazing how much of this uh, that he um, that he set up for us in this book.
0: Yeah, he presupposed all that stuff. Just to make a quote right there at the very beginning before the pedocracy section, the pedophocracy or whatever he calls it, it says, in the early 1950s, the CIA was looking for specially gifted subjects to study dissociative states, which could be induced and controlled to some extent with hypnosis and drugs. So that was Arlene Tyner. So they're talking about that. It's incredible. So all that stuff, he really nailed Epstein before, you know, by going through Dutro and the whole... Um, thing that happened in Omaha. What do they call it? The uh... Franklin Franklin. Thank you. Franklin affair, McMartin, all that stuff. So it's uh, really something else. Like the, I think it's a baseline of research. It's a, it, this is a triple a book.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. And um, some of the premium content that I've done on the, the Sci-Fi cinema uh, Patreon uh, has to do with this prolean idea of the eon of the child, which I think is just such an important phrase for understanding the evil at the heart of the modern power structure, because um, if there's something I would underline a little bit more, it's how um, this idea of the kind of uh, the child is a symbol of the divinization of the human, of human potential, the ability of the, of the individual human occult practitioner to become godlike is often the flip side um, that is that is directly connected to these acts of traumatizing violence or sexual abuse against children because it's the idea, well, I guess any any human can be... Kind of uh, this kind of divinized state that's actually an infantilization and a traumatization. You just have to traumatize the child enough, and you can crack open their superpowers. You see that horrific ideology um, all the time, and so I think that uh, that. McGowan really he does correctly emphasize the kind of the power of the the shock and horror of the of, of these acts and add their they're they're a method of controlling people and of controlling a traumatized population who doesn't understand what's going on and uh and I think that that's true but I also think that in some ways you know the cultural elites are, are drinking their own Kool Aid like they're also partaking of these dissociative delusions where I think there is genuine belief um in um in the um ability of the individual human to become godlike. And then the idea of the child uh, shows up over and over again. And those type of very dark, corrupt, megalomaniacal human potential ideologies, which a lot of things going on for why uh, why it's a child uh, that they often talk about. Why Curly talked about the eon of the child. There's the perversion of innocence kind of thing. I think it's also kind of a twisted parody of the Christian doctrine of the incarnation. All this kind of stuff where instead of God showing up in history in one place, Anyone can become God. So I guess if there's, right. I, I'm just saying that I think that there's a lot of explanatory power to the kind of occult uh, practice and metaphysics around the symbol of the child that explains a lot a lot of what's going on and the ritual violence around the pedophocracy and the serial killer phenomenon and all of that.
0: And I think it can be, <laughs> you can look at it through the today's events where they're going after the children and doing some kind of Gnostic gender change and going after children through these weird trans things at libraries, like they really are focused on the child. So you see this kind of occult, uh, non-biblical like biblical attack on the going after kids. And I think that it's important that he lays that out at the, be- the beginning, not just talking about Dutro, which a lot of people know, but there were pedophile networks all over the place. Latvia, Portugal, Scotland, Italian. I mean, really horrible stuff too, like really dark, very evil stuff that exists. And a lot of, some of these people were flat out occultists. Like I actually looked up while I was reading the book, he mentions the Abraxas organization and it's high priestess, Dominique Kinderman. She's still around total witch. She wrote something about like the greatness of Satan. It made me think of the ninth gate or something, but like she was in, she's like some kind of on the, you know, periphery of the whole Dutro thing. So these networks are there. They're probably still out today. I mean, they, she talks, he talked about Wonderland, this whole, online pedophile thing and you know they keep popping up all the time i think they just had one guy who was like uh, in the department of defense with like 10 terabytes of child porn or something like that so i think that that's another aspect of this book that uh still you know makes it important
2: yeah. Do you know? By the way, have you ever seen Mouthy Buddha's work on Bitchute on the Elite Trafficking series? That no, I haven't. I
0: probably should check it out though. Uh,
2: that's uh, the guy's an interesting uh, guy. I don't like all of his videos. I mean, he's some kind of libertarian. I think of some kind. He's sort of autistic, but um, it was sort of his uh, PizzaGate uh, video that I think exposed to me what what it really was. Right, it was about you know elephant this is an instagram account when you collate it with the podesta emails and so on and so forth um but it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive work actually tell on me that, his name again let me look it up what's his name yeah. mouthy like m-o-u-t-h-y mouthy right. buddha yeah I, I would i would highly recommend i don't know how many how many views that, game, that yeah. he gets but um yeah so i mean dave's very uh like interdisciplinary right in a way so he he's able to um he's very knowledgeable so he in in different ways so he knows a lot of things about you know uh conspiracy and about and about culture and about music and and things and um you know in Jacques jacqueline's propaganda he said you know one of the ways that Soviet opinion was controlled was not necessarily like through direct action of the law, but through a very regimented compartmentalization of society, right, where even if somebody talked about stuff in their own purview, it really wouldn't make any difference, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of what we see, you know, right? You know that, that reminds me of the sort of the gell amnesia effect, right, where, you know, if you're an expert in physics and you read something in the newspaper about physics, it's nonsense, but you assume the rest of it makes sense and you just go on living. Um, But, of course, if you know about music or something, you know that what they're writing is nonsense about that Um, and and so on. But so I mean, I think that so Dave arrived at at what I call cultural conspiracy theory, which is what we do. I I would say it's cultural conspiracy theory. And um, that is not that's not very common. Or it wasn't to me, at least the kind of conspiracy culture I was exposed to, sort of Oliver Stone X-Files conspiracy culture, Um, you know, growing up. And and then, you know, the 9-11 era. Right. Those conspiracies usually didn't involve, you know, we thought that, you know, the artists and the musicians and these people, they were on our side. Right. They were these like gentle flower people who were fighting the, um, you know, the Bechtels and Lockheed Martins of the world and that sort of thing. Right. And the world just doesn't work that way. That's kind of a conspiracy. Um,
0: It's interesting. You mentioned Stone because he did kind of a pseudo investigation on McMartin. Right. He made that movie that kind of discounted all the allegations, right?
2: Well, that's one, one thing that makes me think of something else too, because I mean, we're going to analyze Oliver Stone, and I think he's a limited hangout um, operation who has very strong sympathies for a certain political block we, we won't say anything about. But the um, the Netflix documentaries that, that you were talking about, I've watched a bunch of these, and you're right. You could say, wow, there's like, you know, this is uh, like Dave McGowan surely influences, and I'm sure he did. But they're just classic limited hangout, um uh operations and the one that seems to reveal the most is the sons of sam but and then it has this weird about face at the end where you know look at uh uh maury terry he was like became an alcoholic and died so it was all nonsense or something it doesn't oh, you know Lord. um if they presented all this evidence but yeah those are pretty much classic limited hangout misdirection but it's interesting how much they're willing to to hang out at this point uh, probably because of to no small degree because McGowan. Um, kind of even if people don't know McGowan, they know a lot of these ideas because he put them out there right um, I think okay. and you know Thomas even has a theory that uh, the zodiac movie was reacting to um, program to kill and then uh, Tarantino's um, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood was the was their response to the Laurel Canyon book so isn't that right
0: Thomas yeah, I
1: yeah, I, I think I've mentioned before on the on, on sci cinema the interesting timing of uh, of some of these projects, right? Where you have, uh, where yeah, you have Fincher doing things like like Zodiac when people are starting to ask some of these questions that they need to they they need to ways to integrate these facts into the overall psy uh, up of the superculture in the same way that something like um, not involving serial killers but under the silver lake involves more of uh, of weird scenes kind of conspiracies and then that movie uh, does reveal quite a bit but then uh, but then it's still ultimately it's kind of about um, this kind of uh, gnostic disorientation toward reality where there's nothing but the mystery and it's inescapable so you have to be reintegrated into consensus reality uh, but yeah in, term, but in terms of the serial killer thing the timing of um, uh, of things like Mindhunter and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right around the time that um, that, that that a book like Chaos is becoming quite popular, right. some of this might be coincidental, but at the very least, it's really interesting to see how well it times out when uh, when pop culture is able to like put out some kind of way for the normies to think about these things, so that they don't get the wrong idea if they encounter this kind of research on its own.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because they uh, McGowan mentions Douglas wrestler in this book and I my, I've done analyses of Douglas's work on the West of three it's an atrocity I don't I questioned whether he actually did any research and just had it you know guess written by his co-author but it's an atrocity I've read his book like it was a law and disorder it's terrible and it's almost like an embarrassment like they don't want to tr- touch that cultural third rail they don't want to talk about occultism that actually people are occult and i think that may be something that is downplayed if not wholly uh, ignored in a lot of these kind of modern elements maybe they covered a little bit about dahmer but you know they just showed uh, what is it the satanic bible in the dahmer series which had one not one million but one billion views worldwide now, they only did some minimal stuff, but that guy, he was heavily involved. He was involved in a lot of strange stuff. But uh, it is interesting that Douglas is out there kind of, I'm not impressed with the work of Douglas, but I also found it an interesting fact that wrestler grew up on the same street as John Wayne Gacy. Like, that's incredible. Like literally right down the street. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you can just see so much of that cultural currents that flow through this book. And I, it is interesting to see, what they left out in these huge documentaries or what they how what their how their conclusions kind of did that, just like you said about uh, Zodiac and these other ones that they're kind of like they, they're fuzzy at the end. They don't they don't come to that real conclusion. Uh, the conclusion that McGowan had. Right.
1: Right, right. I mean, there's all the difference in the world between seeing these things, whether it's this kind of ritual violence you see around serial killers uh, in general, as is um, most of the research in PTK is dissecting, or just around the idea of interest in the occult or Satanism. These things, if they're random, if it's just, oh, some weird person doing weird stuff for some weird reason, versus some degree of coherence and organization, even across generations um, about this. And I think that that's A really um, important thing that McGowan does in PTK is that... Is that uh, he he really does show that the modern world is is a very dark place because it's very hard to deny this evidence for uh, for something like a pedophocracy and people can debate the specifics or debate like what those connections look like or how much of this is intentional versus random evil but he, he but he does really show that the things like the involvement of uh, intelligence agencies, purposeful mind control, on an individual and uh, society wide levels, and the influence of very very dark twisted violent uh, cult ideologies that these things uh, That these things are v- much more formally organized than most people want to admit. Right.
0: Like he mentions Ramirez went and had a hearing or saw LaVey. That wasn't in the Ramirez documentary uh, on Netflix, if I remember correctly. So some of those things are, are left out. That's just one of those things that are excised. But also he's he's willing to cover the blackmail aspects too, that people are clearly blackmailed. And the blackmailers or somebody who had been blackmailed were eliminated. Like Dutro, the body count was off the charts. And even in um, the whole Omaha pedophile thing, like tons of people died around that too. Caridori and stuff like that. But also the intelligence things are around there. Like they had a big wig come in and figure out everything going on that went out in Omaha. And they literally had Bill Colby, right? Like that is an incredible, just the state, just the idea that Bill Colby went out to kind of, you know, figure out this whole thing um, and then covered Caridori and said, you know, it didn't really happen. It's off the charts. It's totally off the charts.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. if I'm sure Dave mentions it at some point. I mean, he covers pretty much every angle. But, yeah, and also you create this phenomenon, right, of interstate uh, crimes that, you know, or you know, you it really could be just local. You you create a phenomenon of interstate crime, so the feds are constantly intervening and, and taking over you know investigations. And I mean, stuff has come out and in some of those documentaries that you know Dave would have known about it. They would have been in the book. Like the stuff on Henry Lee Lucas is crazy. Where in that documentary, the the head of the um, Texas Rangers, um, you know, who was like, I, I mean you know, having, you know, apparently having, you know, reporters, uh, you know, houses uh, burglarized and getting prosecutors fired and everything to keep this thing going. Like, you know, he had been, uh, um, you know, Hoover man and the FBI who was, um, you know, remove, I can't remember the circumstances, but I mean, he got caught up in Pro and all, all the rest of the stuff. Then he's over there, he's still using Fed connections and, um you know, so um, yeah, but it's it's a it's astonishing that um, uh, that when he simply, I, I mean, his method essentially is to um, is to just assemble the public record right and in, in front of you and to show you how absurd, um, you know, you know that it is, and then yeah, and then a different picture sort of sort of emerges. I mean, I think that's kind of. Um, um his his method you know just exposing the ludicrousness and the contradictions of of the public record and then we see that these sort of myths like the profile where you have this genius serial killer who leaves no clues and stuff you know that that's the reason they have no evidence right it's because right. they're always such a genius um and then they do stupid things like ramirez and the only thing the only evidence he ever left and like what hundreds of crimes i mean they accused him right of just uh, such a such a kind of hodgepodge of different crimes or sometimes he let victims live and just molested kids or he was killing Asian women or he was doing this or he's going up to San Francisco, L.A. Like, you name it. They just keeps leaving this footprint of like a brand new shoe that shows up on blankets. And after cops arrive, <laughs> I mean, and Netflix ran a document. Did you see the Netflix documentary on um, the Night Stalker? Um,
0: yeah, because they, right they right tried right.
2: to clean this up, but I mean it looks ridiculous. But yeah, I mean he was just way ahead of seeing, and there's so much more coming out that's confirming all the time um what, what Dave was on to.
0: True. No, you're right, absolutely right. I mean, it, it he's uh before the whole thing, like and he's willing to talk about the ritual abuse and the Franklin cover up and all that stuff. A lot of people don't want to talk about that aspect of Larry King. Um, so he was way ahead of the time. And I think that really is a more accurate view of really the wor- real world events is this whole blackmail, occultism, crazy connections underneath the surface. I mean, everything that went down with Gary Spence and his whole thing was off the charts in, um, in DC. And that guy, Gary Spence, I think he was like connected to Barney Frank, who was involved. He was connected to some of these guys in pizza right? Alephantis' boyfriend was Brock. And there's like, Brock is friends with Frank, so a lot of these things that were still around or morphed or changed or just became more current. And then that that whole Pizzagate thing was, I think, sophist, uh, very sophisticated uh, Intel op to discredit the whole thing. And you know, all you you know, it's like the uh, you know false statement like there's there's a torture chamber under the pizza place. Like they made that up to just to openly publicly discount it. But there was crazy stuff going on in those connections, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, Colby oversaw Gladio and Phoenix program and then oversees the Franklin cover-up. Give me a break. The Franklin scandal, sorry.
1: And um, one thing that I, I find interesting in McGowan's um, kind of broader analysis is of why people um, are so good at discounting these kind of facts. Because some of this, I mean, as much as the investigation is brilliant, it does seem rather obvious. It's like, wow, how do they get away with such flimsy cover stories about this? With with covering up that the world, like you said, William, does probably work in this much darker way, where there's this kind of organization behind evil and and McDowell probably emphasizes this even maybe a little more uh, than I might but I did find his stuff like I I think I mentioned towards the beginning of this conversation uh, interesting about uh, uh, dogmatic conceptions of free will that in a culture that prizes kind of individualism or uh, tends towards atomization that people don't want to think it's possible for there to be uh, this much much control in the background that they don't see that these major things could be uh, major aspects of history, these dark episodes um, uh, really could be synthetic in a way that people don't understand. So um, I, so I, so I think it was interesting that he emphasized that actually in a few different places throughout the book. But um, uh, there are limits to that to that analysis. I think, but I think it is true in terms of that is a reason that uh, that that people. Um, don't want to be aware of culture creation. They don't want to be aware that the waters that they're swimming in—that so much of their baseline perception of of politics and humanity—is being uh, is being constantly primed and conditioned these ways that they don't understand, or general, um, you know, normy um, reticence about being disillusioned. But there's some insightful lines throughout uh, throughout McGowan's book about how that this is. Um, this is all about kind of moving towards the destruction of social bonds and increasing atomization in a way that uh, in, in a way that can lead toward control. And of course, there's the flip side of that, where the individual being melted into pure collectivity can accomplish basically the same thing, which is why I think it's really, um, for me, at least very important to hold on to not necessarily individuality, but a robust, I would say, theological, philosophical, spiritual idea of, of human personhood that can resist both extremes, but uh, but yeah, again, the McGowan's whole thing about free will—it does just point back towards um, the ways that people want to be shielded from the idea uh, of these intentionally deceptive forces, uh, just that are that 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 shape our culture, that say that shape society to this degree.
0: You can't really blame them. You don't really. Why would anybody want to think that the government has been involved in culture creation or social engineering since 1950s or whatever? Intentionally creating fear, dread, debility, dependence on all kinds of things, whether it's through Operation Chaos, the creation of program to killers or 9-11 or this whole uh, COVID fiasco. I mean, it's a terrible conclusion because if you see it over the long term, you go, well, why do you have a government if it's just, you know, poisoning me? If it's just uh, trying to do the opposite of what it's supposed to do, like, what's the point? Like, that's the incredible thing is like, it hasn't really stopped. It only stopped once people, when people realize that that's what they're doing. And I think that's one of the benefits of program to kill is that it's really just kind of a sober, um, on, on, you know, uh, compromising view of all that evil blackmail, pedophilia, Satanism, ritual abuse, and programmed assassins. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Um, it's, it's, it's very sober and it's not, um, it's, it's not glamorizing it. It's not trying to make you think, oh, this is cool and interesting. Like so many ways that we default to think about evil. I mean, that's what so much of what goes on with pop culture misdirection around the serial killer phenomenon specifically. And I think really psychologically corrosive, mainstream obsessions with true crime and things like that, where it's just like, oh, wow, the person did this, this, and this. Oh, there's such darkness. That's so interesting and I'm so interesting. For being obsessed with this, aren't I edgy? And it's like it's a way for people in you know in normal society living normal lives to kind of uh, to kind of gain some kind of thrill through yeah. all this kind of depravity. Whereas, um, I mean, McGowan, he's willing to shock his readers. Correctly, he's trying to show that this is this is really ugly. I mean, it's not cool. I mean, it's really people with bad ideas and bad intentions, getting one over on a lot of innocent people. And I I don't think it's necessarily blackpilling either, because that's another tool in the arsenal, right? It's uh, in in their toolkit is to just this total despair and hopelessness, which I think is, um, I think that's a faulty view of politics, history and humanity as well. But the way that, uh, but yeah, the the way that McGowan is uh, talking about all these really heinous details of these things, I think it is, um, it's shocking, but in a responsible way. And I, I admire him for that
0: yeah it's it's a
2: gruesome i mean it's a gruesome read it really is it was hard to it was actually kind of hard to read it but it it's it's doing what you suggest william it's it's exposed it's i have a little feedback sorry is that right, let me increase the is everything okay All right, am i still there yeah you should be hearing you should be good okay. to go yeah Okay. Um, no, I was just going to say it's what you were describing as you know what I uh, I didn't invent the term, but I call it the, the too evil to fail model, and it and it works in the way that you know like Leo Strauss uh, describes Machiavelli's program as it was you know so astonishing that people wouldn't be able to believe it, and so it's just psychologically prohibitive for people to believe even if these things are going on. I mean, leave the question aside whether Dave's right or not. If such things are going on, um people are going to have to pay a prohibitive psychological price to believe in it. And it paralyzes them to think about that. Um, And that is part of the, the, the genius of the evil, right? Is that it can become so evil that it cloaks its own uh, activity in people's mind because it's, it's so horrendous. And so people will pretend that it's, that it's not going on, but we know that that is, that's real, that people do behave like that. Um, you know whether that's going on at large or not i mean dave is correct that people will behave that he's just he's very psychologically perceptive and i think he understands the kind of plausibility of some of these psychological theories and yeah the mind control the monarch thing i mean whether you think that's real or not i mean i'm just i would argue uh um uh, uh, very robustly with somebody that that is psychologically plausible those kinds of scenarios using trauma to split the personality and programming um that that's that's very psychologically plausible so
1: Um, By the way, William, one thing I I wanted to ask about uh, uh, about your thoughts and Brett uh, and Brett you as well in terms of one of the um, one of the aspects of the book that conspiracy researchers might find a little bit more controversial or maybe a little bit less persuasive than some of um, McGowan's other arguments is uh his frequent use of kind of major dates in the pagan calendar right. uh you know things like oh like oh and this happened one day after llamas or something or something like that uh that shows up quite a bit um i think equinox I
0: remember, right um, vernal equinox all these the, the, diff- the different or...
1: equinoxes but the different uh, the different major basically high days you get in a lot of um in a, in a lot of neo-pagan thought and he mentions like the crowley connection uh to wicca and everything like that but he does that and he does the kind of stuff around uh william you mentioned earlier uh, Alistair Crowley's uh, birthday comes up, and then sometimes, like he'll even say, and this was only one day after; it was only one day before. And um, I know that some people might think that um, that uh, that that doesn't hold up maybe as well as some other components uh, of PTK. And so, my my, my perspective is this: that I'm interested in what both of you think about that because McGowan does that. Fairly frequently throughout the book in these case studies, but I would uh, I would say that yeah I agree that it's really hard to know uh, for sure that that actually would be intentional or part of the motivation of the perpetrators behind these different kind of ritual crimes. Uh, but uh, the but two but two things I would offer in defense of maybe McGowan's speculation in that direction is that. Uh, I, I remember reading in one uh, major Crowley, uh, Crowley biography when I was doing research on him, as I often unfortunately find myself having to do about an anecdote where you know Crowley is doing one of his major rituals and he's doing uh, he's doing numerology as you know as part of that and he comes to a couple numbers and he is. And Crowley finds that both of the numbers are only one digit away of being uh, like kind of hits for, uh, you know, for significant correspondences like uh, like 103 rather than 104. And I think like 417 instead of 418 or something like that. And Crowley deduces that the lacking digit symbolizes the phallus, he says, and then kind of just kind of takes it as a win and moves on. So I know it can seem kind of crazy or schizophrenic to do this, uh, uh, to do this kind of um, this numerological analysis. But when you're studying the worldview of people who believe crazy, schizophrenic things, I mean, sometimes there's there's some validity to that. So that that's one thing. And the other thing I would say is this has come up in our conversations before William, but the kind of very sinister druidic aspect of some of these ritual crimes Mm -hmm. when it comes to things like certain aspects of Order of Nine Angles mythology or the West Memphis Three killings. I think that kind of the worst possible versions of that kind of Druidic neo-pagan nature spirituality and the inherent cosmology there of cycles and all of that. I do think that there's something very dark there that does come up in a lot of this, um, is relevant to a lot of this material. So the kind of sinister Druidic relevance and kind of Crowley's like uh, kind of weird schizo-numerology moment there, those are my two... Uh, my two tentative defenses of McGowan's use of all of this kind of pagan calendar stuff. But I'm curious your thoughts on that aspect of the book.
0: I think it was interesting. My understanding of McGowan's worldview is that he was an atheist. So for him to put it in there, I think that uh, he thinks that that's the way they think, is they do events based upon certain dates and numerology and things like that. So I think that's, that was uh, interesting. So, I mean, it was, it was a recurrent theme. I mean, he must have mentioned the dates of certain events 20, 30, 40 times throughout all the entirety of the 350 pages. But uh, I didn't expect that, actually. And I didn't recall that from reading it the first time. What do you think, Brett?
2: What's interesting that he's an atheist because a lot of things are interesting about how Dave comes to this these subjects. But usually it's people who have some either faith or some knowledge of spiritual realities who come to appreciate the role that the occult may or may not have in, in politics, you know, um, atheists that usually, you know, they think that's kind of nonsense, right? So it doesn't do, it's ineffective, right? It's been, um, supplanted by science and so forth. That sort of worldview doesn't usually consider this sort of stuff. So, you know, I'd be, that's what sort it of would have been, would have been great to have, um, Dave's daughter on to talk to her.
0: Um, yeah, questions. agreed. But, agreed. Um, it's unfortunate, but you know, she. I think she's busy. Everybody's. I don't think Craig is in the best of health, so it's uh, unfortunate. But uh, one of the interesting things that I didn't expect to see either was his actual reference of a lot of these kind of uh, CIA mind control doctors, like uh, Lund and uh, Dr. David Smith popped in. Like this is definitely a precursor to the Chaos book uh, by O'Neill, who I've also interviewed. But also this guy Lund, I didn't know how much he popped up, and uh, in uh, multiple places. I think he popped up in all the killings that took place around Santa Cruz, which is the Fraser Lindley, um, the other guy, uh, those cases. And then, then he they did the same thing that Jolly West did. Jolly West integrated himself into the Patty Hearst case just said i'll help out for free and then lund does the same thing on another case i think it was the uh what was it the i think it was the ramirez case right but oh no it was the it was the boss it was the stranglers right the two the two stranglers in uh los angeles so i thought that that was pretty interesting the yeah no it was West, the sunset strip killers i think it was no. jolly West, went, i thought, yeah he was wasn't mentioned a, in the book
2: he's kind of the Forrest Gump of MK Ultra, is jolly yeah, in is. last, you know. Yeah,
0: he is. No, he's incredible. But there's other, so what my point is is that there's other strange connections that, uh, not all of them, I think, you know, McGowan missed a few things, but there's very strange connections to these uh, people uh, in these cases. And also F. Lee Bailey pops up a lot, like, which is also strange. Like in the Boston uh, Strangler first. Um, yeah. Interesting.
1: Uh, since I um, I see a a question in the comments about whether we think social engineering has been amped up for the twenty twenty four election. Um, I I mean, I personally would say that I think that social engineering just kind of reached a fever pitch in 2020. We've been just kind of living in that nightmare ever since. I mean, I think there's just kind of a natural progression of all these things, of these ops within the realm of politics and culture and, and mass scale religious engineering. Um, and so I don't necessarily know if I think that there's uh, uh, intentionally a new set of ops being, uh, being you know being given the go-ahead specifically because. Uh, 2024 is coming up, but more just like the march towards more, more fixed elections and everything like that is just happening as part of this mass rush towards a uh, civilization-wide psychosis that we've been right. having over the past few years. What, uh, what, what do you guys think,
0: Brett? You want to handle that one? No, no, I don't. Yeah, I would that. say that we're in about, a psychosis. Yeah, it's mass <laughs> formation psychosis of all things. There's no, I no interpretation of a woman. It's almost like a, uh, a cult worldview where you're your own God. You can just impose your will on reality. And, uh, you know, I think the whole UFO obsession, there's just no evidence. It's just a huge psyop for me. And that seems to be a very important part of kind of the modern culture or the recent Internet culture, as far as I can see. it is always see it is that there's, there's always some kind of UFO disclosure. It's right around the corner. And this guy, what, career or whatever. I mean, there's so many occultists guiding the UFO story. It would probably shock people to know how many of these guys are uh, involved in ritual (laughs) magic and stuff like that. So I think that, uh, you know, probably tons of psyops. I think some of these more recent killer, the garlic, the Gilroy Garlic Festival guy was probably somebody was tinkering around with maybe Cremo, Crimo, whatever. And definitely the guy in Buffalo had an FBI handler who went to Buffalo and shot all these people. So I think these kind of uh, definitely Phoenix program scare the living daylights out of the public and make them full of dread and misery, I think. Are, um, I mean, that's just one aspect. I think it's really become a very sinister, uh, multi-pronged assault on humanity. It's really uh, terrible.
1: I I agree. And with with, with the UFO thing that you mentioned, people can check out the recent uh, interview that Brett and I did of the Collins brothers for their book, Invoking the Beyond, where we go really in depth into their UFO PSYOP research, which is some of the the best on the subject, in my opinion. And we go into Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind in that interview. And um, I I mean, I, I think the UFO PSYOP is here to stay, and I think it's going to go through a lot of different stages that it, uh, that are going to help it give it some unfortunate longevity, despite the lack of I think actual uh, actual evidence there for uh, what they're saying is going on. But yeah, I think I I think that um, I think that the seeds for that were planted long ago. We can still. See that unfolding, and yeah, William, that's a great point in terms of how many occult thinkers are driving this kind of stuff. Even though it might not seem like it to the normies who are just first hearing about the mainstreaming of things like UFO research um, and uh, government UFO research programs and all of that, and that's that you know that 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 that's, uh, makes it interesting that McGowan is an atheist, as as you say, just be uh, because. I mean, I think that for a lot of people, they're going to find that uh, a pure materialistic atheistic worldview isn't you know, doesn't cut it for most people when they are really exposed to the power uh, of the occult in shaping um, in shaping political undercurrents. And these very, uh, these very, very sinister aspects of the modern world. I mean, there's so much spookiness there. I mean, uh, more power to McGowan if he was able to kind of maintain a coherent picture of all of that. But I know that um, for a lot of people, the kind of um, the the kind of craziness of all all these interlaced psyops leads them to a spiritual perspective on these things. And just like I I, I personally don't think that um, a purely material worldview explains what's going on with the spiritual warfare aspect Of all of this stuff, which is why I don't think it's a very popular worldview in terms of um, conspiracy stuff. People usually have some kind of spiritual undercurrent to all of this, but you you have that. But then you also have, I think, a lot of really unsatisfactory divisions between, uh, well, this is the good occult and this is the bad occult. This is the good new spirituality and this is the bad new spirituality. I mean, people even defend Crowley that way. I've seen people say, well, Crowley was a white he was a white magician. He wasn't like all these bad Illuminati people. So there's all these, I think, very unpersuasive divisions between kind of good magic, bad magic, which is why I find kind of a, a robust theological worldview that can divide categories of theosis, of mysticism as understood historically by Christianity versus a called apotheosis. I think that that's really essential and very helpful, especially for the way that I've come to I've come to understand uh, all of this, but um, I mean, even for those who don't take that same perspective, I'm at least very glad that McGowan has woken up a lot of people to the, the fact that no matter what you think of the occult and the metaphysics behind it, it is uh, empirically verifiable as um, a shaping force of the modern world. I, I just think most people are gonna end up taking a more spiritual perspective than maybe he did on the topic.
0: Well said, I totally agree with you. What do you think, Brett?
2: Um, yeah, I agree. We're we're really living in an open air, you know, MK Ultra experiment. You know, we're living in a psyop society. And I one of things I have my notes are I really wanted to say before we definitely before we finish the show. I think it's like one of the main ideas that we we've gotten from from McGowan or that we've gotten confirmation from McGowan on. And um, it's this this idea that yeah, in post um, Vietnam cinema. Has been used uh, as a as a weapon in a mass traumatized society as a means of reengineering the population, which is basically a scaling up of of trauma based mind control methods and at a lower intensity, a less detectable way. To be sure, that's kind of the the idea. And he says that this is in the in the book. I mean, he thinks that um, the this well the serial killer phenomenon he thinks is a psychological warfare program, just like phoenix which was you know used all this horrific violence and torture but as a form of psychological warfare um above all and i mean dave says it's about atomizing um society and then capitalizing on the the mass suggestibility that comes out of that splitting you know people up um uh, to re-engineer the whole thing which it makes me think too i mean um to you know dave is basically a leftist he's an atheist but yet he sees the anti-family agenda as well like he, he sees that um you know that normal human uh, relationships and associations are being you know alchemically uh, broken down um you know but specifically the, the rise of okay the shock cinema i mean the stuff that it's it's amazing it's like night and day right you go from i don't know 66 65 right and and what the standards standards and practices were in in movies and censorship. And then, you know, 68, 69, all hell breaks loose. And then the 70s, I mean, it's just this, you know, you have the the video nasties, they're called in the UK, these movies that they banned, um, which were just showing like, you know, serial killers, you know, committing all these, I mean, this, this kind of stuff, right. And, and porn films too. I mean, it's just uh, don't look into this stuff, but I'm not making it up. I mean, it's just horrific, the stuff that was being produced. Um, and a lot of it is strongly suggestive that it's about Visiting the traumas of Vietnam. I mean, that's what Wes Craven said about Last House on the Left. I mean, whatever you think his agenda was, uh, he said I was. Um, that was what the movie was about. Is basically you could make a movie about Vietnam, but I wanted to visit the traumas of Vietnam on the American public um, with this stuff. So um, that's um, yeah, that's a big part of our um, our research and the show has involved. You know, the use of how the sexual revolution has been pushed with these methods, for example, um, and other things in society, but even darker things than the sexual revolution.
0: Right. The sexual revolution is just one component. It's not covered in this book, but I mean, it's just like people got to watch out about this culture of creation. It's uh, it's scary what they're able to do and what they're able to utilize. T- 2001, 9-11 was incredible what they did to people. And same thing happened with COVID. Total MK Ultra, whatever. Mask, mind control, fear of death, right? Everybody's afraid of touching everything. And the mania is still out there. Like, I'll just let people know COVID went through the entire population by 2021. So you don't need to wear a mask unless they're going to release another bioweapon. But, uh, yeah, people are still zapped. I mean, it's really incredible. So... I think that Dave, I think that he, like, it's not a whitewash. He says there's dark stuff in the world. There's really dark stuff. And he mentions a lot of people. Freud mentions ritual abuse and people covering up and full on, like, pedophiles with their weird, you know, own groups and things like that. And uh, what was that? Some of these the mentions a number of, like, mind control doctors, like I mentioned. So I would say his book still will stand the test of time. It will be an important marker, and I'd like to, the fact that he didn't try to, you know, dull down what he researched. Like, he took a very, like, sober and very thoroughly researched book. For that time, for me, this is just an impressive book in 2004, so that'll be my final comment. Do you guys want to kind of wrap up?
1: Yeah, let me offer. Uh, I agree with everything you just said, William. And I, I just want to offer um, a bit of a critique, since I've said so many positive things about McGowan in the book, which I which I which I very much stand by. Um, I, I thought that something that he was a bit selective about, where and we mentioned kind of his both religious and more political orientation, um, just in, in in the over the past few minutes, which is obviously distinct from I think what uh, what what we would take. But his uh, Satan's Family Tree chapter. Um, there's some really good stuff in there, too, but I, I found it to be a bit selective, um, and I think that's probably just coming from his own political orientation, because, I mean, really, in in, in my estimation, to, to speak broadly, I think the only political spect- perspective that really can't survive, like ruling in-depth conspiracy analysis like this is basically a kind of establishment centrism. Like once one recognizes the pervasive sickness of the contemporary power structure, uh, you're usually going to reach something for something that seems like a bit fringe, uh, maybe in either direction to situate yourself. Because it's obvious that things that, both things that call themselves traditionalist or call themselves conservative, or things that would call themselves liberationist, revolutionary, uh, leftist whatever all this is kind of implicated in the plot in some way um and so it's often the case that researchers are a bit selective in either direction and I, I i'm not trying to say i like i'm above it all that oh well everybody's right and wrong who's to say i mean no listeners aside, will know that i am an unapologetic self-aware eastern orthodox christian zealot and my my view of history and politics is very much informed by my theological priors but my point is that I think uh, McGowan, you know, he does some stuff where he kind of breathlessly men- makes sure to mention like the Ku Klux Klan, Nazi Germany, misdirection, of the protocols of the Elders of Zion, all in close proximity, and other stuff like that. When he's making more like kind of broad conceptual connection than tight historical lineages, um which is which, which is a valid thing to do, but I think it's important to recognize that distinction. But well, he does all that before talking at length about Trolly and other kind of people with elitist occult worldviews. And the implication is kind of that this is ultimately a fascist right wing project that he's talking about, that this occult degeneracy is ultimately part of this kind of extreme right deviancy. And I would not at all contest the fact that uh, the historical project of fascism is deeply implicated in this kind of anti-human satanic degeneracy. People uh, can listen to the talk I did on my own, then I also did with you, William, uh, with um, with uh, Theodore, the former member of Adam Hoffman Division, to show I'm very interested in those kind of connections. But I just want to note that one could easily kind of tell a different kind of story than McGowan's kind of insinuation that this is essentially fascism. If one pointed more to I don't know stuff like Crowley being kicked out of Italy by Mussolini's government. Emphasized a bit more the specifically anti-Christian aspects of this kind of a cult uh, blob, or the kind of social relations language used by a lot of kind of post crolian spiritual movements. One could kind of see this framed in, in, in a different way. I I, I just think that um, it's it's maybe a mistake for one to, to ultimately say well it's either just behind all of this it's just communism it's just fascism it's uh it's just liberal democracy or it's like or, or to say one of those things is good and the other two are bad there's limits to all those kinds of analysis. McGowan obviously uh, as you can see with the, his other book, the effort that you mentioned that he leans more towards the, um, the kind of leftist critique saying that this is uh, that the occult project is fascism. I think that there are some uh, pretty hard limits to that analysis and McGowan maybe is a little bit uh, less persuasive there in that framing, but that's my only major critique of the book.
0: Gotcha, and Brett, gotcha. anything you'd like to add?
1: Um,
2: yeah, I mean, Thomas, uh, you know, I, I think said it pretty well. I mean, there are just limitations to to the leftist critique that that he's deploying. I mean, I, it's just impressive that he there are so few, right? That he he's way ahead of most leftists. So, I mean, I was going to ask you, I mean, how influential is he? Because I mean, in I call myself a traditionalist and sure a conspiracist, and um, uh, you know, and then those sorts of circles, I think he's seems highly influential um, at, at this point increasingly. Um, so, I mean, I, but, it, but it's interesting, right? Because that's not his political alignment. And of course, that reflects something that's gone on, you know, more broadly, where we went from the kind of Kennedy to 9-11 conspiracy era, where it was the left that, that dominated, you know, conspiracy theories about the murder of John Lennon and, Know so on, um, and then it and then it seems to have moved over to the right during the 90s and beyond. I mean, not that it was absent or that it is now from the left, um, but that's anyway, those are my thoughts on that. I mean, I wonder what you think about too, William.
0: I mean, it's a good point. I think that for him, just to kind of lay it out for me, I didn't see overt kind of political biases or bias in this whole book. And I think he just left the facts out. So for me, I do think that he has that kind of left anti-fascist kind of worldview. But I do think that, uh, unfortunately, that's just kind of the way that people perceive power. So power is, you know, uh, an aggregation of political power, typically economic power. So I guess that would be fascistic and all this, these, these things. But Um, I would say that some of these political, these serial killers were equal opportunity murders outside of whatever the uh, political, they're political, they're really almost not really political, right? Their politics of serial murder is just to kill. Like, I don't know if they were there any, were they selective, maybe against women or something like that, but the actual murders that he talks about, it doesn't seem like there's even much, that much politics about them. It's much more like they're into uh, into the occult or they're having dissociative states or schizophrenic. But it is interesting how apolitical they seem to be, at least through this book. At least that's my perception. But uh, I do think Dave had his outlook. I do definitely think he was uh, left leaning for sure. I don't think there's
1: any doubt about it. Yeah, and that's not a major flaw in itself or anything. I don't think bias permeates the book or anything like that. Just noting that in one very interesting chapter, you can kind of see perspective that he brings to bear in other places on fascism and political ideology. You can kind of see that framing come out. And um, I, I, I just think that... as we we make our own theories about deep politics and interact with other people's theories, it's just important to recognize the tendencies, I think, for some people to say, well, ultimately all this satanic evil is communism. It's all fascism or or, or whatever. Again, some major combination of alignment and condemnation between basically Western liberalism, fascism, communism. And I, I, I have my own perspective on that. Um, But just having seen a lot uh, lot firsthand of contemporary spiritual movements that uh, that are inspired by uh, by by these kind of occult lineages, a lot of it really doesn't look right wing fascist traditionalist on the ground like the uh, I think that the the leftist social views are non incidental part of a lot of it. And so I just um, like I said, I just think there are limits to, to the direction of that particular critique. But not 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 a major flaw; just an interesting piece of conversation that I think is worth keeping in mind. Where are these different researchers, um, uh, ourselves included, are situated in that as we move forward with the kind of parapolitical analysis.
0: Right, and what he does leave out, I mean, he does leave out People's Temple. He maybe, I mean, he has a he doesn't devote a chapter chapter to that, but uh, he does mention Jones a little bit. But he kind of leaves that out. That would have been a left kind of viewed mind control you know event mass murder event he could have dedicated a chapter that and he doesn't mention the symbionese liberation Arc, uh army which are uh, that whole event it's like i think they came out of vacaville too so that's omitted for some reason uh maybe he's uh what was the guy's name i forgot the head of it but he wasn't maybe a serial killer but donald donald defreeze thank you donald defreeze yeah but uh he does kind of briefly mention so he could have maybe emphasize more than that. I think that would go to your kind of position that he's definitely left spinning and maybe omid, omitted
1: certain stuff. Sure. Just the, the quest for the creation of the new man and global government, it's, it's everywhere. It's just good to be ever vigilant. And let me also throw in that, um, that McGowan uh, wagging the moon doggy is great. His, uh, his thing about the moon landing yes. uh, being fake, yeah. I find very, very persuasive. So if people who like McGowan haven't read that. I, I hope they do.
0: And his stuff on the whole conspiracy to kill Lincoln was brilliant too, which is not in a book form. It's unfortunate. I think those, if I was his daughters, one of his daughters may be listening to this. You should get that into some form of book form. Wagging the moon doggy, or both just have, just put them out there so people can read them on Kindle or something like that instead of having to go through to his website, which is still up. So I'll put a link to his website. And as far as websites are concerned, why don't you guys talk about what you've been working on, on your podcast
1: on Patreon and what you have on the horizon. Uh, I really hope people check out our Patreon to, uh, to listen to a series that Brett is working on a sub series of his, uh, uh, of his Monarch research that he does for our Patreon. And it's a, uh, it's a few episodes Uh, on Return to Oz. So I don't know, maybe Brett, you can plug a little bit more about that if you want, but it's just, I think it's some of the best work that we've ever put up on our Patreon. And in addition to that, we are going to do an episode on uh, Sound of Freedom and Jim Caviezel uh, within the next few weeks. And we have a lot of thoughts on that. It's a complicated topic, I will say, uh, but we are planning on doing that soon. Um, And uh, there's going to be, uh, I'm going to do an interview with uh, Jamie Hanshaw about about Disney, her research on that soon. We're going to be talking about Fantasia and Monsters, Inc. there. So that's a couple uh, couple episodes coming up, and people can get all of our content on our on our Patreon, patreon.com slash including uh, the Return to Oz stuff from Brett, otherwise, at psyop on Twitter and sciop-cinema.com.
0: Anything you'd like to add, Brett, before we wrap it up?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, so a return to Oz. If you don't know it, is a Oz movie made by Disney in the mid '80s that depicts a girl at the turn of the 20th century, anachronistically being electroshocked and then dissociating into the Oz world. It's just an people are familiar with it; they'll know it's a pretty over the top MK um, uh, movie. So I'm analyzing it in a series that I do where I look at these monarch mind control tropes in in cinema and and relate them. To some of the uh, information that, that's out there, allegedly, uh, by Monarch survivors, um, I didn't want to. I, I never got a chance to mention the Eyes of Laura Mars, um, which is a, a movie that was written by John uh, Carpenter, uh, directed by Irving Kershner, who did Empire Strikes Back. I believe that's the same guy. Seventy-eight, uh, Faye Dunaway. I mean, that movie um, anticipates the kind of phoniness of the profile. The, that was actually being created at that very time in the era depicted in the David Fincher *Mine Hunter* uh, show. That movie was was being made, and uh, it stars um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it as well, whose whose cousin uh, Chase Brandon was the uh, first known CIA liaison um, to Hollywood, who consulted on such movies as *Enemy of the State*, which predictively programs 9/11 wow. and so on. So. Um, uh, those are the kind of rabbit holes that that I go down. But yeah, Eyes of Laura Mars is is one to to look at in terms of uh, Dave anticipating Dave McGowan's debunking of the um, of the profile.
0: The Eyes of Laura Mars. I've never even heard of that movie. You guys have uh, opened my eyes to films that I need to go see. I've got to see Arlington Road. I've got to see Rage. I've got to see Eyes of Laura Mars. And I have to go check out your stuff on Patreon. So thank you very much for your time. Again, it was Brett and Thomas of PSYOP Cinema. I will put links to their podcast and their Patreon for people to check out. And then the title, working title I have for this is Dave McGowan's Program to Kill Revisited. So thank you both for your time. Thanks, William. Thank you very much, William. All right. Stay there. Stay there.